My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 623. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because it will help you to feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Will you tease the topic? And then I'm going to do a Zen Parenting moment, sweetheart. Sure. What makes something good? No, let me say it's a different way. What makes something go from good to not good? What makes something go from good to not good? I think some things that we look for in life, um, we we see them as good or we experience them as good, and then sometimes they start to cross over into a territory that's not good. Oh, so interesting. So what I mean by that is we're going to talk a little bit about cults. Sweet. See, what I thought of was, um, you know, relationships always start out good. Like, right. Well, and, there can be cultish one-on-one relationships. True. Abusive relationships. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but first, uh, I was just before we pressed record, I asked my wife, Kathy, if it's possible for, right now, my computer says it's 61 degrees outside. And I asked her if it's possible for it to go from 61 degrees to 63 degrees without hitting 62. And you said... I said yes, but I don't know that scientifically. I just assumed. I just think that it's there's going to be a microsecond. So for anybody, any meteorologists out there or scientists, I'd love to know this. Okay. Because do you really want to know this? Is this really interesting? I've been thinking about it for like decades. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, now that's more interesting to me. So I is just it thought possible you were... for it to jump a degree? Is it possible to go from sixty one to sixty three? Or like you put something, you take something out of your freezer and you put it in the oven. It has to run through, like it's a freezer, let's say it's zero degrees, and then you put it in an oven of 450 degrees. Mm-hmm. It's got to go from zero to one to two to three to four up until 450. It doesn't, can't go from two to four. Well, sometimes when I'm looking at the oven and it's warming up, it does jump. Now, I don't, you're, you would say, well, what about the microsecond when it was yeah. the temperature it was before? It could be. I, I just don't know because I kind of don't care. So the other thing, the other evidence that I'll just throw in, and then we're going to get to the Zen Parenting moment, is what happens with dry ice. Because what I know about water, it goes from a solid to a liquid to a gas. But with dry ice, it goes from a solid to a gas. So is it possible? So it's skipping over the liquid stage of temperature. Mm. So that's my uh, scientific question this of the day. This is how Todd and my brains are different. Um, Kathy wrote a Zen Parenting moment last week called Overdoing... And I'm going to play a little song here. Is that Courtney Love? Yes, Courtney Love, not singer of Hole. Not a fan of Hole. No? Um, no. That first album? Not at all. Oh my god, I loved that album. And so yeah, um, it's such a it's such an album from the time though because if you handed me, um, I think it was called Live Through This. If you handed me that album now, I'd be like, I can't relate to any of it. Sure. I mean, maybe I could, but it would just feel so distant. Mm-hmm. But at the time when it came out, remember this this song I lo- I liked that, but uh, Celebrity Skin. I mm-hmm. still have that on a bunch of my um, you know playlists, like when. So do you guys do that too? I mean, not that anyone can answer, but where you put the same song on a bunch of playlists. It means you really like that song. Yeah, it's like... Yeah, I never got into Hole. Well, a lot of, lot of rumors that Billy Corgan wrote that whole album. Yeah, just ask Billy, I'll tell you. <laughs> I love Billy Corgan. And Billy, if you're listening... Sorry, but uh, he, he does, he's not shy about telling you things that he's done. Well, and there was some truth to it, right? They were too- Probably. I think he helped Courtney write it. But then there's all this like love triangle stuff between Billy yeah. and Kurt and yeah. Courtney and I don't know. It's very Gen X. I think Billy dated Courtney before yeah. Kurt did. Ah, before. Okay. I believe so, but I could be wrong. Yeah. I don't know anything to be true yeah. in, in, in life, much less about Billy Corgan and Courtney- you don't even oh. know about the temperature or dry ice. I don't or know about any of that any stuff. Any of it. Um, so you wrote this probably a while ago. Do you need me to read something? Because I want you to reflect back on why you wrote this Zen parenting moment on overdoing. You know what, Todd? I so feel seen that you just said that to me. Oh. That you said you must have written this a long time ago. Because you're right. Like, I, you probably read that and thought, this doesn't sound like you at all. Is that um, what you thought? Or am I am I jumping the gun? Uh, no. I, I, I don't know if you wrote this last week or... 
10 years ago. No, I wrote it about two years ago. Oh, you did? Really? No, I did not notice, unfortunately, that this was an older version of Kathy. Oh, you didn't. Okay, then I don't feel seen by no. you. Um, but the This reason- is me not seeing you. This is me not seeing you. The reason that I thought that I felt seen when you said, because is I don't feel that way mm-hmm. much anymore. I'm not saying it doesn't creep in. It does. But basically overdoing it is about how I used to go to yoga mm-hmm. and I would have a class that I just loved and I would feel so good. And I'm like, yeah, but if I'm loving this class, it must not be that hard. So maybe I should run home from the yoga class to really get my heart rate up, or maybe I should start walking, or maybe I should start doing other things alongside yoga, because if it feels good, it must not be doing anything, which is this belief that suffering is what really creates our wellness. And the truth is, is if you're feeling joy while doing something, isn't that what you're trying to find in the first place? So isn't it ironic, as Alanis would say? Don't you think? um, Because... We would enjoy, a, or I'll talk about me, I enjoy a yoga class, but I'm not suffering enough, so I think I need to do something to suffer so then I can find joy. But I was already experiencing joy enjoying the class. You know? Chardonnay. Yeah. It's a death row pardon. Two minutes too late. Isn't there a bunch of jokes about this song? Yeah, because they're not really, these aren't really ironies. It's like. Bad stuff happens. Yeah. They should call it bad stuff happens. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, I think you and I have talked about this song on our podcast from like seven years ago. Really? And now I'm worried about us talking about the same thing over in the same way on Three's Company. Um, Jack Tripper, also known as John Ritter. Uh-huh. I remember John Ritter was being interviewed of why Three's Company ended. Uh-huh. And it's because in the first season, there was something about Mr. Roper and they were trying to smuggle a cat in Uh to the apartment. Yeah. And then like at the last season, (laughs) they decided to mix it up and they're trying to smuggle a dog into the apartment. And it was Mr. Furley. With Mr. Furley. Yeah. And that's when John Ritter's like, yeah, I think we're done here. I think we've run the gamut. (laughs) Let's go over to Three's a Crowd. Three's a Crowd. And not tell Janet or Chrissy about it. And open Jack's Bistro. (laughs) I don't know how many people know what we're talking about, but that's fine. The ones that do... Hey, Three's Company is is cult classic. It's, is it we're though? talking about cults today. Is Three's Company a cult? Um, I just loved it, and I thought it was good because it was all that was on, right? It, it's just glorious. We didn't have a lot of choices. This is a different version of the song, isn't it? No, this is the long version. Oh. So occasionally, like at the beginning of a the season, they would use the long version. Can I tell you even a better story about Three's Company? Go ahead. In the early 90s, I think it was like 95, um, my friend Laura and Jess and I, we went as Three's Company for Halloween. Nice. So I was Janet and Jess was Chrissy and Laura was Jack. And she carried around a rolling pin. She had a chef hat. Because he was a chef. What did, how did you um, get into the character of Janet? I, did you have a flower with you because she was a florist? No, but that would have been good. Um, I wore like a turtleneck like Janet always wore, and my hair was actually short at the time. I had a short haircut in the 90s. So I kind of like did it like Janet with like the flip, and then I put on a ton of mascara. Mm-hmm. And then I had – she used to be – she used to advertise for legs, mm-hmm. the nylons. Yep. So I put that around my neck like – Legs, nylons. You remember the egg? Oh, of course. I used to get my mom's suntan bee at the corner grocery store. So I did that, and I just got really frustrated with Jack a lot. Yeah. And Chrissy just, she wore, Jess wore like pigtails and, you know. So anyway, big part of my life, Three's Company. Anything else on Zen Parenting Moment? Um, no, just the the final takeaway is that if you're enjoying your exercise class, appreciate that. You Boom. don't have to like work harder. Just drop the mic. It. Mm-hmm. And if you're uh, interested in getting Kathy's twice a week Zen parenting moments, uh, just click on the link in the show notes and it'll take you there. Uh, before we get into the main topic, uh, Men Living Workshop, the last Wednesday of the month, I think it's the 28th, Psychedelics, Exploring the Medicine. We have a panel, a bunch of guys talking about their experience with psych- psychedelics. And then uh, Team Zen, we have, a te- we have a Zen Talk this week, and we would love to have anybody who's listening join us for the Zen Talk. It's this Thursday, the 21st, at high noon, Central Time. You ask questions, Kathy and I. Um, share our experiences and try to support you. As do the other members of the community. Boom. It's kind of like we don't have answers, but we do have discussion. Yes. And I think it sometimes opens um, opens up new, oppor- not opportunities, but uh, options for people where they're like, oh, 
I didn't look at it that 25 bucks a month, first month's free. So give us a try. And if you hate it, then you cancel it. Big whoop. Big whoop, which is kind of what we're talking about today. All when right. something good goes to not good and how... So let me just preface this by saying I don't think this is the last time we'll be talking about this. I'm, I'm very um, interested in these things, to say the least. Um, so let me just tell you some of the things that Todd has been hearing me talk about for the last... Two years, three yes. years. It's been a, it's been a quite a run. Uh, Scientology, Nexium, John of God, white supremacists, Q, the insurrection, uh, yoga, specifically the Rama Institute of Kundalini Yoga, self help teachers who have gone Q, gangs, politics, eating disorders, uh, MLMs, which is multi level marketing. Um, some things I've been watching: Nine Perfect Strangers, Impeachment, Midnight Mass, um, having a Peloton bike. Uh, Soul Cycle. I'm really into Kate Bowler's books, uh, No Cure for Being Human, and um, Everything Happens. I'm way into podcasts about cults, conspirituality, a little bit culty. Um, the book- Did you say conspirituality? Conspirituality. Oh, that's is a that podcast. A, oh, that's a podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Cultish, which is a book by Amanda Montel, the book Take Back Your Life um, by um, two authors, John Lalich, Lalich, and Madeline Tobias. Um, and using other people's beliefs about proof of who you are. So um, before you get into, uh-huh. I'm guessing a lot of people recognize some of those uh-huh. things. I'm guessing very few people recognized all of them. Right. That's why I read the long list because they are all interconnected. And Kathy over the last few years has been like a, um, I don't know, I think of like a piranha, a group of piranhas piranha. in the water. And there are, and, and any information on cults, enters the water, Kathy devours it. Podcasts, <laughs> blogs, books, Netflix, Kathy's all, you are- A piranha. Probably one of the experts. What about a sponge? You are a, sp- a piranha eating piranha. a sponge that yes. just absorbed all of the information on cults. Yes, yes. And I think- um, And I know devour, uh, piranha can be like- A negative. You devour it. Yes. Yes. Like I don't just read about it. I read about it, then read about how I read about it, then read about and then listen to and then watch. And then and part of that, I think, is because it's in two or three things here. Number one, it is part of the work I'm involved in, meaning that I consider myself part of a wellness community um, as a therapist and also as a podcaster and as somebody who writes books. And I have seen how that community a portion of it has been hijacked. And I have noticed that for probably a decade. Mm -hmm. And I've had a really hard time talking about that because, you know, um, I'm having an easier time talking about it now than I did before because I think that when I would bring it up before, people would be really like, well, everybody has the right to say what they want to say and everybody has the right to do. And I, I always felt as if, yeah, but I'm not quite sure these people are doing it for the right reasons, which I'm sounding like I'm on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. They're not here for the right reasons. Um, And yet there's this like very fine line of when something good goes to not good. And I feel like what I've attempted to do in my own line of work is stay on that line of this is good. And if it isn't, then not only are you free, but we wish you well. Mm -hmm. Like this is... If you listen to this show and you let it go for five years and come back, great. If you let it go forever, great. If you come in late, it doesn't make any difference. If you want to buy my book, great. If you want to be on Team Zen, great. If you're ready to leave, go. Like, There's this like thing in the wellness community of trying to hold people and trying to indoctrinate people to think that they are only doing well because of a leader or a community member or a therapist or a, a guru someone or an ideology, an ideology that that's the only reason you're okay is because of that person or that show or this, this connection to community. And I've always been very cautious about not being that way, Mm -hmm. that I, there is a large section of my book about, and it's kind of, it's sprinkled through the whole book, but about, you have to think for yourself. You have to decide if this means something to you. If it doesn't, please 
continue to explore and think, I have no answers for you. These are just openings. And the reason why I'm so adamant about it is because of the number of cultish experiences I personally have had. Can I give one quick example? Sure. Um, Sometimes, I don't do it as much anymore, but I used to say on the show like, well, Kathy and I don't like to whatever. Kathy and I don't do that. Kathy and I don't do that. And you'd always like... I'd say it's stopped saying that. Right. And why? Because this is not about we do one thing, so do what we do. Mm. We can share our... See, this is like the fine line, because someone may say, but you're always sharing what you do. Mm. But not like this is the right way. Mm. There is no right way. There is a way that Todd and I experienced something because of the moment, the child, the the tension, our the history. trauma, our history. And this is our baseline was connection, compassion, you know, awareness. And those were the things that then got us through that moment. But there's no right way. Yeah. There it could have gone ten thousand different ways and still ended up okay. So it's a very interesting place to be a therapist or a clinician or a podcaster or an, a teacher of emotional intelligence and and walk. Actually, I don't think it's that hard, really. I think you just set people free over and over and over again. Because the baseline, the thing that I trust in people is they know what's best for themselves. They can be indoctrinated with something where they forget what's best with for themselves. They can be, they can have, um, be struggling with a, a you know, mental wellness where they forget Mm -hmm. what's best for themselves. So those are things we have to help people deal with, or they have trauma that leads to them forgetting. But once you get to the core of those things, everybody knows. And I'm like rubbing my heart right now because we all came into the world with these kind of awarenesses of ourselves. And so the best therapists, the best teachers trust people. Mm. And the teachers that say, don't trust yourself trust me, Mm. are missing, well, they're either doing it because they want power Mm -hmm. or they're doing it with a misunderstanding of human beings. Yeah. So let me just frame this out. The reason we're talking about the Sun Zen Parenting Radio is because we're always being inundated with information and advice giving and everything else from books, from commercials, from TV shows, from everywhere else. You're like, I'm going Stephen Covey with you here. Let's begin with the end in mind. The reason that we think it's important to have this discussion is to help our listeners blank. Help our listeners find a sense of wellness that is good for them and thoughtful about where it comes from and why. Mm. That it's too it's too complicated. What it is is about a sense of personal wellness and well-being. So we have our integrity intact and our dignity is being not only shared, you know, we feel that we are in our integrity and that we are being dignified and that we are offering that to others mm-hmm. because it is so we can so easily be here's the thing that i'm a college educated woman masters level you know educated woman i have had the privilege of being around a lot of smart people i have had a lot of great role models you know it, you know both my parents were very supportive i'm you know i have so many friends who are so i've i've had so much information so much privilege mm-hmm. and yet I have gone down paths historically that were not good for me, and I didn't even realize it until I realized it, and I had to wake up and be like, wait a second, and this happened with yoga, this happened with um, body workers, this happened with therapists, this happened, and and I don't then look at the world and say, there's a bunch of predators out there. I... I can see the difference because I've also had amazing clinicians, amazing body workers, amazing yoga teachers. So it's not about binary thinking of those things are now bad. It's about recognizing the difference. Mm. And that's what I want to eventually write a book about. So I'm just throwing that out there to the universe because that's what I've been working on for years. And also not throwing out, as people say, the baby with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of things that I got from teachers who were inevitably harmful. Mm-hmm. That, that also had a lot of wonderful also had things. had a lot of wonderful things. Now, their intention wasn't always wonderful, but I learned things 
that were actually helpful. And this is why these things can be difficult. Can I give you my quick example? Sure. Because you know um, so much more about this than I do. I don't find it as compelling as you do, but I can understand why it is compelling. Um, I don't know much about Scientology, uh-huh. but I know that the the beginning stages of it is some type of therapeutic intervention that gives people a lot of power back to Absolutely. themselves and everything else. Um, I think you and I can both say that there's a lot of problems with Scientology. <laughs> you think? Uh, but so I think that's, I just wanted to mention that, like Scientology could be bad for most. And at the same time, what they offer at the beginning might be really helpful. Well, why don't you think about it this way? Instead of what they offer is helpful. The on-ramp is always that's- going to be positive. Yeah. Right. Otherwise, so, they're never, nobody's correct. ever going to get anywhere. The on-ramp to anything is always going to feel good or else you're never, I'm just repeating what you said, can you're I give never you going to jump can in. Can I give you one really kind of weird example? What? The night I signed my bid night for my fraternity, uh-huh. they bought me mozzarella sticks and they gave me beer to drink at a bar at Duck Perfect. Blind. Perfect. Yeah. A week later, I was cleaning toilets at the fraternity <laughs> house. I think if they would have started with cleaning toilets at the fraternity house, I don't know if I would have signed that bid. Right. Anyways. Well, and you know, and it's funny, like that's the thing is that I, because I'm so in this world of learning these things and it's, and, and it's not that disconnected from, well, it's completely connected to me being a therapist because I talk to so many people who have been indoctrinated by certain things and they don't even know it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. And so, and it's, and I... And, and you can't just come out and say, you've been indoctrinated. You have to gently talk about, but how do you feel? Because a lot of people will come to me and talk to me about why their guru says this is the right thing to do or why their therapist said you need to go this route or else things are going to fall apart or why they're, you know, why they have to do Peloton every morning mm-hmm. or else they'll lose points or rewards in their group. And I'm like, yeah, but how do you feel? Now, if you are doing that and you feel good about it and you feel a sense of freedom Mm. in it, it's not a problem. But when you start telling me how other people tell you what to do all Mm. the time, and and as you guys can see, this is not disconnected from parenting. Mm. A lot of people who get involved in these things have a very strong need for validation. They want someone to say, you're doing it right. It's what I wanted. Mm -hmm. I wanted someone to say, you're special and you're doing it right. And you get about one eighth of that and the rest of it is telling how you're doing it wrong so you can do it right again. Mm. Do you see what I mean? And so you, so we have to be really careful. I love my therapist and I often say to you, you know, she said this or whatever, but it is not her telling me who to be. Mm -hmm. It is her validating and talking through something with me that is ultimately my decision. Does your therapist ever tell you what to do? Never. Right. So maybe a good kind of like bottom line bullet point is anybody that tells you what to do is probably not a good teacher. Well, it, it just... It, Are there so exceptions to that? It's just any kind of absolute language like yeah. that, Todd, gets messy. Yeah. Because there are people who are, like, say they're in an abusive relationship. Yeah. And somebody's and like, get out. like, get out. You're right. Yeah. Okay. True. So it's like, you can't be so clean cut. Right. And, and it's funny, mm-hmm. something that can be very cultish, I'm putting that in air quotes, is absolute language. Yeah. It's why I'm such a wordsmith. Mm-hmm. It's like, why? Because absolute language doesn't exist. Yeah. Everything is paradoxical. Everything is gray. And I know people don't like it and we want certainty and we want to know, but part of being a human being is living in that uncertainty and that sometimes in one moment, something is clear, but the next day it doesn't work. And that doesn't mean you were wrong. It means you have to flow with life. Mm. Um, And it is, it is very difficult to, you know, like something that can that has been weaponized is saying common sense. Yeah. Just use common sense. But a lot of groups have hijacked that language. What does that even mean anymore? Because another statement that has been hijacked is do your research. Oh yeah. Okay. So people in Q mm-hmm. say do your research. People in certain political affiliation, left and right, say do your research. What what does that mean? Like anymore? Like I know what it means. Can you give me an example of how somebody would weaponize that? Because I'm I'm trying to 
do your research becomes a final comment in a conversation. Like I'm right. And if you don't Correct. think I'm right, go ahead and do, do your, your research, research so you can see that I'm right. Correct. And it. it also stops the flow of conversation. Mm-hmm. There, like, you know, as much as I know about Nexium, like there's always a thing, and in Scientology too, there's always a thing to say to stop the conversation. Mm-hmm. Someone starts bringing up, but what about this? Mm-hmm. But what about this? Do your research. Trust your truth. Mm-hmm. It, I actually just mentioned to Todd the other day because he was talking about something, something not that wasn't a huge deal, but he said, I just went in there and I said, speak your truth. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you even have to be careful with that language now mm-hmm. because unfortunately, Speak your truth has been weaponized, which is I'm going to believe whatever I want to believe and who cares about science and who cares about community. I just believe this because it's what I feel. Mm -hmm. And speak your truth, I know what people mean when they say it. And I'm sure you and I still share that with each other. But in the world, that language starts to be kind of cringy where you're like, wait a second, we can all have a personal truth. But we are not all isolated from each other. We are also part part of community. Mm-hmm. And we don't just get to it's a very like um like going back to therapeutic here, when I work with fifth grade girls and I will say, speak up for yourself, start using your voice, you know? And then they'll just say whatever they want to say and be rude. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, now wait a second. They're like, you told me to speak up. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, but it has to be modulated. It has to be understood within the context. Yeah, you have to keep kind of checking in with yourself and whoever you happen to be in front of. Correct. Because if you're like, well, I'm just speaking my truth and I'm telling that you're a big jerk. Like, is that the way that we teach relationships? Is that is that the way we are to be in a relationship? It's one-sided and, you know, there's a, a cutoff or a shutdown or a refusal to engage any further. I don't know. Absolutely. that And that is the goal because this is why when we talk about do your research, you're really not. What you've decided is you've already decided mm-hmm. and you're done with the conversation. Like there is a, um, you know, a using of language to, well, let me talk about this, Todd, because this is really what, this is kind of what led me to say, let's start this conversation on the show, Okay, is there's all sorts of lists of how you can recognize if something has, is either a cult per se, Mm -hmm. or is an organization or a person that is doing some kind of thought reform. Mm -hmm. Cults and thought reform, put it this way, a cult uses thought reform but not everything that is using thought reform is a cult. So it's like it's one of those pieces under a cult, but not everything. I I use the language culty and cultish mm-hmm. because not everything is a full-blown cult. Sure. It just kind of verges on when you're practicing thought reform and trying to get people to think like you, mm-hmm. but you use language like just be, con- you know, this is just common sense. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, wait a second. So can you, before you yeah. read whatever you're about to read or go over whatever you're about to go over, can you give me the the header of what it is that you're about to say? Uh, talking about loading the language. Loading the language. Because mm-hmm. tell me if you think this is a bad idea, okay. but I wonder if anybody thinks that they may have like, oh, I wonder if this is what Kathy and Todd are talking about. Mm -hmm. Like think of in your own mind, an example of somebody that you may, and then use whatever you're about to share as kind of the litmus test. Sure. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And let me say this, because this gets, this is why it's, I'm always finding the right language to talk about these things because some culty things are really harmful and they hurt people Mm -hmm. and they keep us in a binary where it's a big cult thing is us against them. Like we are right, they are wrong. That, That can be really harmful. It can literally lead to destruction. And then there's things that are culty that may not be hurting, it may be like a workout program Mm -hmm. where everybody's like into CrossFit and Mm -hmm. they use CrossFit language Mm -hmm. and maybe they're just more annoying Mm -hmm. (laughs) rather than I think what I hear you saying is there's this all this this gray gray. area. There's black, there's white, there's everything in the middle. And and it doesn't mean SoulCycle, CrossFit, yoga, um, any of it is wrong. It just means notice how you have become indoctrinated to a certain language. And sometimes that can just keep you as a student or as someone who keeps going back mm-hmm. because you feel part like a big part of it is feeling like you belong to an important community mm-hmm. and you have specialness and you understand this lingo. Which is totally, I mean, there's a there's a ton even in that sense right. because I've, as far as I can tell, I don't know anything about evolution, but we were 
have evolved to be in community. So it makes right. us feel safe when we are in a yoga community or a right. men's group community or whatever. And there's nothing inherently wrong with any of that. Well, at the same time, let's question certain things. That's perfect. Like anthropologically, we need to belong to a community. So the impulse to belong to a community is very healthy. Mm-hmm. The problem is when you start to get into a community and then your sense of well-being, your integrity, your belief system starts to be quashed or quieted Mm -hmm. and they start to tell you why you shouldn't trust yourself. They're like rewiring your own internal dialogue or what's how you view the world or whatever. Correct. Where there was experiences I had. Um, in certain body worker situations where I would have an intuitive feel about something and they'd be like, no, Mm -hmm. maybe they wouldn't be outright like, no, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. But there was a questioning of maybe you shouldn't trust yourself Mm -hmm. on that. And it's like, wait a second here. Aren't, Aren't I working with somebody to learn to trust myself, not to give my power to a leader who then tells me what to do? It's, It's so... Again, this gets, it's so messy, Todd. So, it's so before messy. we do these things, yes. I want to talk about our partner of the week and okay. then we'll go get into it. Uh, this is our third time with Cognizant Springs. And they are a startup founded by mothers. They design and sell children's puzzles, activity kits, board games, books, and many more intended to spark the love of learning by tapping into children's curiosity about the world around them. All the products are high quality and durable, designed by parents, and focus on sustainability with biodegradable packaging. Minimal plastics and toys that help children understand the world around them. Ramya Sitagiri is the founder. Like so many families, her household changed dramatically with the onset of the coronavirus. The biggest challenge she faced, like most parents, was engaging her son in meaningful screen-free time which led to founding Cogna Springs along with her sister. Every product has a story behind it and evolved out of interaction with her kids. What does that mean to customers? It's already been tested out. So go to CognaSprings.com or simply click on the link in the show notes, which will take you directly to their homepage. And don't forget to enter Zen Parent 20 for a limited time, 20% off. CognaSprings.com. All right. So can you say again what it is that you're going over right so now? So I want to talk about loading the language because this is the the use of jargon in communities. And this can be like jargon is used in the workplace. You know what I mean? The mm-hmm. way that we talk about products, the way that we talk about meetings, you know, the, some of the things you and I used to joke about on the show, like, you know, let's put that in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Let's put a pin in that. Let's circle back. Like it's jargon. Yeah. Business. Like, th- th- business those three jargon. are business. It's business jargon. Exactly. And then there is definitely you and I in the wellness community or self-help or mindfulness community. There is jargon, Mm -hmm. right? There's language that we use about being conscious. Like I remember, well, how many times do I remember this? We've been doing this. I've been a therapist for about 20 years. Todd and I have been doing this show for about a decade. And whenever there's been like a big buzzword, like attachment or conscious or, you know, whatever. I'm like, Todd, we can't, like that can't become our thing right? because it will change. Meaning that I can agree with attachment parenting and understand what's behind it, but it's, it's broader than that. It's not one thing. Mm -hmm. It's not, and it doesn't mean you don't support a concept. It just means like, let's try and, you know, the, the, irony, you guys, is it's why our show is called Zen Parenting Radio, because Zen doesn't have a definition. Mm-hmm. Zen is not definable. So it's like, I don't want, I don't personally want to be too defined. You purposely chose a word that has an ambiguity Correct. to it. Be- now, because we could Google definition of Zen and you'd get something, sure. but there's just a lot of different interpretations of what Zen means, and you liked that. I love that. Yeah. That is part of the reason I love that word, and and I understand that there's so much more to it. If you are studying it, if you have a teacher, if you if that is, it, it, I understand that there's parts of it I will never be connected to, but using it as the understanding of that everything is uncertain and paradoxical and that you can appreciate where you are even knowing where you're going to end up, Mm -hmm. which is, I don't know if you guys all know, but we're all going to die. That's right. Can't wait. Yeah. Um, And as as horrible as people are like, oh my gosh, but that understanding allows us to live today. Mm -hmm. Without that understanding, we may not even get out of bed today. We have to know that this is our time. And if you don't know that, it's very difficult. So Anyway, um, so I, jargon is something that has helped me in life and that I have gone through phases of using, significantly using. Like, I bet if you guys were to go back, like, I don't know, five years into this podcast, I probably, I I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling I was probably using more jargon then than I am today. Mm -hmm. I think what I found 
is that jargon is often the way that we feel safe and feel like we belong and feel that we're smart. Is there any examples you can give on any jargon that we may have used on um, this podcast? Uh, let's see. I can't come. I'm sure there there is, but I can't come up with anything specific. Um, it's so funny. I I don't. I'm I'm totally drawing a blank. I yeah. want to be because it, there is a lot of. Um, I can't even come up with anything because no. I think the thing that has come full circle and, and the reason I'm laughing at myself is because someone might be listening to the show saying, you guys say this, 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 yeah. and to them it's jargon sure. where it's like sometimes hard to differentiate between something you're trying to explain with the right language versus using jargon to demonstrate um, intelligence yeah. or demonstrate some kind of belonging. It, it's It's a very fine line, but there is... What I have found is that when you're learning something, you tend to use a lot of jargon. And as you really understand it deeper and deeper and deeper, you come back to everyday language mm. because you realize that's more inclusive. So that's an important distinction. So what you're saying is jargon, there is no perfect explanation no, of this, but no. jargon is typically not everyday language. No, because you want to separate and be different. Got it, okay. You want to have language where people, like this is especially true in organizations, like mm -hmm. I'll just use the top two, you know, cults that are talked about, Scientology and Nexium. There's language to describe, you know, who people are. Um, you know, if they're not a part of the group, there's language, you know, like suppressive people. Mm -hmm. Both uh, both Nexium and Scientology call people who are have been in Scientology or Nexium and then have left, they call them suppressive people or people that are outside of the organizations and are trying to maybe their family members or, or people that want to pull people out of these organizations, they call them suppressive people. And so that and right away- And they'll call it SPs. SPs, right. So then they make it an acronym. Mm -hmm. So it's even more jargony mm -hmm. because then you're like, people don't even know what you're talking about. And it's so, what does that do? You call someone a suppressive person, it, such, it shuts down the whole conversation. Yeah. Well, you're an SP, so I, I, I can't talk to you. So may as well not be may as well not be a human being in Correct. front of me. They are an SP. Todd, that's such good language is we, a lot of jargon, negative jargon, mm -hmm. is used to dehumanize people. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of things, like we can go back as far as like, you know, jargon that was used um, in totalitarian regimes. We can go back in religion and talk about jargon that was used, and it's used to dehumanize people. And these things are still used today. And the reason they're used, and the reason that's effective is because if we can dehumanize, I'm going back to Brene, I don't know if it was a TED talk or whatever, mm -hmm. but there's no way the Nazis could have done what they did without dehumanizing, without dehumanizing them first. There's no way. Because we're not wired to be able to do that to other people. So let's talk about something that's very true right now, um, anti-vaxxers. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a really broad term. Totally. That there are many, many reasons, like something that uh, you and I have been having conversations about this and you've been you know, saying there's people you've been talking to who have chosen not to get vaccinated. My question always back to you is why? Mm -hmm. And you'll say, you ask me that all the time. And I'm like, but I need to know that before I have a conversation. Which tells me you're more thoughtful about this than Correct. I am and you're helping me with it because I'd be like, I don't know, they're, they're anti-vaxxers. Like, I, so I guess I just want to like raise my hand guilty as charged for using negative jargon because who am I to, to pigeonhole a whole population? Correct. It could be a very good medical reason why somebody doesn't want to get vaccinated, but the fact that I'm putting them into like, oh, it's a bunch of people that follow this person or that person, it's not fair. And there's a lot of assumptions. And here's the thing. I want to be very clear because I have no problem saying how I feel about this. I am very pro-vaccine, especially when it comes to COVID. Sure. I, I think it's a community issue. I think that it is something that we've done all throughout history as far as vaccine mandates to make sure that we keep ourselves and community health, healthy, especially those who have a harder time. By the way, Colin Powell died today. I just Did heard you see that. that? Yes. Um, and so... I think that, but with that said, when people are like, I'm not sure about it, I understand. Mm -hmm. Like with my girls, when they went in to get their vaccines, because you have to get so many vaccines when you're little, I decided to break it up a little mm -hmm. bit. I was like, okay, two vaccines now. And then, you know, the doctor would say, well, you're going to have to come back and get these other ones. I'm like, that's fine. Mm -hmm. 
So now, do I know for sure that made a difference? There's probably a lot of doctors or healthcare professionals right now saying that didn't make any difference. But there was it. it I that was my choice at the time. Now they still got all their vaccines. But I understand wanting to, and see, we get into jargon, do some research. Mm -hmm. So you do your research has been weaponized, but there is real research, but not of YouTubers who are giving me conspiracy theories. That's not where I'm going. I'm going into data. I have one other quick example of um, of what we're talking about. Um, you know, instead of anti-vaxxers, we'll talk about, I'm, I'm watching this Muhammad Ali documentary. Uh -huh. And for those of you guys who don't remember, Muhammad Ali... Uh, did not want to fight in the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. And it's easy for me to call, and I don't believe this, but he's a draft dodger. Right. It, it, language. So all of a sudden right. we're putting right. anybody who chose not to go to the Vietnam War and burn their draft card is a draft dodger. Now, I'm not here to say yes or no whether Muhammad Ali made the right move for, you know, what do I, you know, he doesn't, he's dead now, but he chose to he chose it because of his religious beliefs because of his beliefs in race and all this other stuff so for me to just encapsulate who he is with that one word is such an unfair encapsulation so like whenever we're calling any group of people an anti-vaxxer a draft dodger whatever it is it minimizes absolutely because there is a story and sometimes the story is absolutely infuriating to me which mm -hmm. is I don't trust science or I'm not going to hurt anybody or there's things where I'm like, okay, that, uh, that, but there's are some stories where like, I listened to this NPR podcast about this and there are some people who are like, I am going to do it. Mm -hmm. I just it, it, like, I was reading something yesterday about, um, people who work in certain places and they haven't been able to like get time off work to go. Yeah. Now we can sit here and say, well, you can do that, mm -hmm. like figure it out and maybe that should become top priority for them or the workplace should allow them to do it. Mm -hmm. But there are reasons beyond being sure. an anti-vaxxer. Sure. It's just such inflammatory language. Mm -hmm. That is how language gets weaponized. So anyway, let's, can we kind of continue I just on? want to sure. read the definition of jargon, which sure, I think is sure, interesting. Special words or expressions that are used by a particular profession or group and are difficult for others to understand. Yes. And so... It, Sometimes it's simple language with big, deep meanings, mm -hmm. and sometimes it's difficult language that is kind of n about simple things, but you put difficult language to feel special, mm -hmm. okay? So another thing, I remember when um, Bush Kerry were running against each other, a political campaign, um, Bush versus Kerry, and the Bush campaign started talking about how Kerry was a flip-flopper. Yes, I remember. The language was, he's a flip-flopper, and really what happened is he had, over the course of three decades, <laughs> seen things differently because he, things had changed. He, he changed had, his he mind. He changed his mind yeah. based on growth yeah. and evolving as a human. We should be changing and yeah. growing and evolving as humans and seeing things with more clarity and openness. If you start to go myopic, mm -hmm. where you used to think openly and now all you're thinking about is one thing, you might be going the wrong way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, someone could come in and say, well, what about this experience? Well, maybe like there's, I kind of think like, I love how um, therapists, it's, it's actually, I think that maybe this was in Brene Brown's TED Talk or maybe how therapists are always portrayed. I was just watching an old Sex in the City episode where Carrie goes to therapy and, you know, she starts sharing something and she's like, you know, and I don't know if this is right or wrong. And the therapist is like, well, there is no right or wrong. Mm -hmm. There is, and, you know, Brene's therapy, the therapist was like, there is no good or mm -hmm. bad. And I know that can be annoying, but this is a therapist's job is to see all of the the wide spectrum of good you know, and what does that even mean? Was this good in the moment? Now it's not. Yeah. Was this good for some people, but not for you? Was this a bad choice for you, but not for them? Like when people come to Todd and I and say, tell me what to do with my 14 year old who's doing this, that, or the other. I don't know. Kathy says, I don't know your kid. I don't know because I don't know, but I do know how to support you in finding out. Yeah. I do know how to help you go into a conversation where you can learn more about this 14-year-old. I do have some ideas about that, but they are based in a kind of fluid understanding of yourself, mm -hmm. which gets into self-awareness. You know, self so I'm going down a different path. So 
loading the language, using jargon, especially internally and only understood by a certain group, constricts language for you and for everybody else. Your capacity of thinking and feeling are reduced. So this is what like loading the language does. It can make people feel unique and also connected to other people, which can be, which can feel good. It encourages people to feel dependent on a certain leader or group to the extent that life without these people or group feels impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, and it convinces people, this is the hardest part, to act in ways that maybe go against their natural ethics mm-hmm. or integrity, is they'll say, but yeah, if this is true, like that's what I think about with January 6th, mm-hmm. with the insurrection, is that there were people because of the way language was used and weaponized, that they believed they were doing something good. Mm -hmm. And I've seen so many interviews now of people who have either been arrested and, or just people who were there who are like, I don't, I never thought I would do something like this. Mm -hmm. And they feel regretful. Mm -hmm. Now we, everything we see on the news is people who are like still like all in and Mm -hmm. and feel really good about their choices. There's a lot of people who were there Mm -hmm. who do not. Well, and there's something, and this is a whole different podcast, but there's something you said about a collective thought and how seductive it is. Like you're at the Capitol and all of a sudden you're cheering for whoever you want to cheer for. And then a bunch of people hop a fence. You'd be like, oh, I guess if they're doing it, I'm going to do it too. When really objectively they never would think about doing it, but they just get caught up in that frenzy. Exactly. And and so it's just like, you know, going back to loaded language, like Todd and I have been trained in so many different ways. And, you know, both of us being, Todd's almost 50, I am 50. Like we've been a part of a lot of different groups, a lot of different educational kind of methodologies, a lot of different kind of exercise communities. Um, and we and maybe I'm more on this than Todd is, but we watch each other's language as far as let's not try to separate ourselves from people. Let's not try and act like we know more than people. I mean, we can be leaders, but the best leaders make people feel welcome and empowered. Leaders that make you feel small and beholden to them are not true leaders. Mm -hmm. They are power-hungry people. Mm And it's like, how do you talk about things so people understand you? Do you really want, like I was listening to a podcast this morning and this guy was talking about his, he's used to be in a cult and he was talking about how the leader would always do this like word salad Mm -hmm. where it would completely, he would say things in all this different, all this different language and he would cut from one idea to another idea. And so people were like left holding the bag of like, they felt like they didn't understand it. They were dumb Mm -hmm. and people would try and pretend they understood it, but there was nothing to understand. Um, And, you know, and this is political and I'm sorry, but I think that Trump did that a Mm -hmm. lot, like a bunch of word salad. Mm -hmm. And then people would be like, oh yeah, like no one knew what to do with that language. You know, like, what does that mean? So there was like, you're left kind of thinking they're either a genius or like, I'll give you an example of like how deep this goes. My dad had a stroke and he had something called aphasia. Some of you may know what that means, where you're basically just using words the best you can to explain what you need to say because you can't access. Your vocabulary is severely, severely compromised. Severely compromised. So you can't access words. And so sometimes my dad would say something that sounded like word salad, and mm-hmm. we'd kind of have to figure out, mm-hmm. okay, what did he mean by this word? And I got really good at it, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't you think? Yeah, it's like a game of charades. It was. I was like, I know exactly what my dad was trying to say, and that is what you do for people. But when people are using word salad to make you feel small or beholden to them, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. You know? So I, I have, I think, what is a benign example okay. that we can maybe work through. First of all, is I, I find myself sometimes uh, at least initially getting defensive over this whole idea. I know, I know. Um, so it's easy for me to be like, oh, yeah, suppressive person, like, oh, those Scientologists, it's, yeah, that is jargony. Right. And then I think uh, about my own, my own jargon. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I am in a men's group called Men Living. We do this thing called a check-in at the beginning and it's basically whatever it is that you want to share in that moment. And the way that we conclude when we're done sharing, I, we say, I'm in. Mm-hmm. So everybody, for the most part, says, I'm in. And I'll be like, 
so Kathy's like, just, just watch out for that. Yeah. Like, cause then all of a sudden, and I'm like, well, I'm in just means I'm done talking. It's just a very, it's two syllables. That way the next person knows it's their turn. And that's fine. I think, I, I think Kathy's not saying there's nothing wrong with saying I'm in, but what if somebody said, I'm done talking? Is that okay? Is that okay? Right. And that is the energy that I'm learning mm-hmm. from this discussion is, yeah, I think I'm going to keep saying I'm in, but I'm also might say to the guys every now and again saying, you don't have to say you're no. in. You could say I'm done talking or next or whatever it is. So um, that's just one. And it's funny because my first reaction would be like, no, no, I'm doing it right. Like I'm, that's not jargon. That's just me using that example, that language, because it's economical. It's an efficient way of mm-hmm. communicating. So, um, so anyways, I just thought that was, well, and, and to your point, like we're kind of catching each other all the time because it is there, that language, like I'm in can make people feel like, wow, I belong here. I know what to do. I know what the protocol is. I feel like, you know, this feels like community to me, but the, the piece that's most important is what you just said, which is you can say anything Mm -hmm. here, you know, because in a really like thought reform kind of group, they'd be like, no, no, we say this. Yeah, this, these are the rules. Exactly. And you do this and you say this. Like, you know, in in Nexium, you had to call their leaders certain things. Mm-hmm. You had to shake hands a certain way. You had to bow. There, there's all sorts of things where you have to do it this way. Yeah. And there's no, if you say this is what we do, but you're welcome to do what is comfortable to you, mm-hmm. then there's some freedom yeah. in that. And then they can decide if they understand. You know, it's like in a therapeutic relationship, you can go, or let me talk about a coaching relationship sure. because therapy is very different than coaching. I, um, Todd is a coach and I am a certified coach. I'm also a therapist and they are not the same. They're very, they're different things. And as a coach, there are sometimes like steps and stages mm-hmm. that you follow, like goal acquisition. Yeah. And the, the key is understanding that it's not an absolute, you don't, it's not like if you skip this step, then you're screwed and you're never going to get there or you didn't work this hard enough or you need, it, there needs to be a fluidity that everybody is different and that these steps were made and these, and this is true with therapy too, but things were created based on this seemed to help a significant amount of people. Sure, it's effective. It's effective. We've done some studies about this. This model works. Right, but maybe not for everybody. Right. You know, maybe not for everybody. Like there is some. there are some people because of their own history, background, or their own goals mm-hmm. that it doesn't fit the model. Well, in my example, because I learned a very specific model in my coaching program with Conscious Leadership Group, and it took me a while to get there, but eventually the, my mentor said, we want you to learn this model so that you know how to break it. Correct. So, you know how, yes. so you know how to yes. not use it, but we want you to know it first and then and then bring your own gold and all your other history and tune into whatever your client needs in that moment. So it could you be, just said bring your own gold. What does that mean? That's uh, jargon. Yes. Bring your own insights. Bring your okay. own... Um, wisdom, bring okay. your own intuition. And so why not just, and, and again, I'm not, you can say gold, but right. that's an example of why don't we just say bring your own self or your own wisdom? It's a good question. Um, <clears throat> probably because it's jargon. Right. <clears throat> because it it is, and everybody's kind of trying to find their own hook, right? Mm-hmm. And like, this is why the self-help industry and the wellness industry can start to feel really like you're being taken advantage of in it because everybody's trying to rework the same idea with different language. And it's so weird because like we use the term shadow quite a bit. Right. And is that, excuse me, is that jargon or that's something Carl Jung said a long time ago? And and that's like probably somewhere in the middle, right? It is. It's Jungian language, Jungian language, depending how you say it. Um, but it's, it's similar to you were like asking before things we used to say, we talk a lot about inner child work, Mm -hmm. right? Like your inner child, you're still the, you know, When I'm talking about that, I am talking about the therapeutic inner, you know, inner child therapeutic intervention. Mm -hmm. But some people are talking about it in terms of like, that's where it starts. And same same with shadow. It starts with Carl Jung. You know, that's where it begins. But then sometimes we start to use it in a way where it kind of takes on a life of its own sure. and and do you, do the people using it really know where it comes from? Yeah. And 
And that's up to the person saying it. Like, I'm not being a guardian of words. Anybody mm -hmm. can say whatever they want. But it's like, do you understand the origins of what you're saying? And yeah. when I talk about inner child work on this podcast, that's actually a therapeutic intervention. Mm -hmm. And it it should not be done by people who don't understand the therapeutic intervention. Mm -hmm. Like something that we talked about last week with psychedelics is psychedelics, you know, we used to think those things were bad. And in the 60s, they were made bad. And now we're finding all these new therapeutic um, benefits, capabilities. And, and it doesn't mean now go buy psychedelics and go do them in yeah, the, in right. the woods. It right. means with therapeutic intervention, this might be effective or it might not, be. or it might not be. And just be, and if it isn't for you, it doesn't mean that you failed. Mm -hmm. It just may not be the right path for you. And for some people who are like, I don't want to try that at all. That's fine. Yeah. It's not the only way. This is how it gets into like Cultish thinking is around food too mm -hmm. and diet. Yeah. Like you and I know a lot about eating disorders and we know a lot about how people can get really wrapped up in, there's actually something called orthorexia where people get too focused on healthy eating and healthy like wellness. And so then they become obsessed with the new cleanse, the new way to eat, thinking meat is toxic, thinking dairy is toxic, thinking gluten is toxic. And I know for some of you, like if you have celiac disease or if you gluten really plays a you know, number on you, I understand this isn't about those things aren't true, but they're not true for everybody. Mm -hmm. Like there is a lot of obsession we get because we feel special having this information that we have the smart way to go, the only way to go. And it may be the way for you, but it doesn't mean it's the way for everybody. Yeah. And can we have that room to have a real discussion rather than of do your research, you know, yep. or, uh, you know, watch this one movie, um, you know, like there is a, they actually call those kind of phrases, semantic stop signs. Okay. It's, it's basically a cue that everybody should stop their independent inquiry and just accept the party line. Mm -hmm. This is just the way it is. And this definitely happens in politics. Like, the reason that this is so important to me is not only have I seen myself go down these paths, but I've watched so many of my clients go down these paths, and I'm watching our country go down these paths. I'm watching the wellness industry. Like, you know- I have some things on diet culture words. Oh, let me hear some. I, I feel like diet culture is like a, for some reason, a safer thing to talk about than religion and all this other yeah, stuff. Yeah, diet culture. Yeah. And it's a little more mainstream. Yeah. So these are, so first of all, diet culture refers to a rigid set of expectations about valuing thinness and attractiveness over physical health and emotional well-being. Diet culture often emphasizes good versus bad foods, focuses on calorie restriction and normalizes self-depreciating talk. So that's what diet culture is. And some... Diet culture words to avoid in this article that I'm finding is words bad or good. You'll see that most of the words below come back to the good or bad terms used to describe food. Like right. if you think about it, how is food good or bad, well, right? Are French fries bad? I know. And, and it gets into this really kind of strange area where my parents are children of depression era parents, mm -hmm. right? So- we still as Gen Xers grew up with like a sense of there may not be enough, you mm -hmm. know, finish your plate. And a lot of that led to sure. negative, you know, eating habits, I'm sure. Um, so, but the fact that we look at food and we're like, well, I'm going to eat this version of it. And we just now have such abundance yeah. that we have all these beliefs about this is good, this is bad. Um, a few other terms that are, that are kind of in the words to avoid, clean. Uh -huh. What does this even mean? Clean Using the eating. term clean <laughs> superfoods. Um, and then cheat, guilt free. Cheat day, guilt free. Guilt free. Yeah. Skinny, uh -huh. healthy. We had to have a talk with your dad about those words. Yes, we did. Uh -huh. So try using these words instead nourishing, delicious satisfying. Mm -hmm. So that's what she's got. So anyways. And and this is the thing is you may be like, oh my gosh, I totally do that. And I didn't realize it. You, It is not your fault. The advertising industry markets this. I mean, like I have a whole thing of greens in my, you know, refrigerator right now that say superfoods. Yeah. And that like, so I'm seeing it every day too. So it's not that you have to think poorly on yourself when you use these words or when you find yourself like being obsessed with it. It is being thrown at you constantly. Mm -hmm. 
what this show is about, what I think will these, – these things will always come up in sure. our discussions because they're not just about – I'm not talking about the salacious element of cults, like tell me about all these deep things that they did to people. That's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in human behavior and how we get hooked into things that we think are good, but then eventually harm us. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm interested in and how we lose our center and sense of self. As Todd knows, the people that I study the most are people who were born into cults and left. Mm -hmm. How did they know? That's what I want to know, is that how did they know if they were born into something that it wasn't good for them? And I do understand how they know, but that that means that they have an, a center in them that had nothing to do with cultural conditioning. I know, but they're unicorns because most people probably don't escape from these I places. I know, but right? if we understand those unicorns, yeah. then we understand human behavior so much better. So then we can replicate it. We can replicate it and, it and, help it and people understand it. it. Yeah. And understand, you know, like my favorite words, like, you know, Rosalind Wiseman's organization, Cultures of Dignity, the dignity of all people, mm -hmm. the, the word integrity, which integrity doesn't mean that you stick by something and never flip flop. Mm -hmm. And integrity means you do you you know what your value system is and it's based in something that's good for yourself and the world yeah. you're not harming people and you stick to that now but but what you do with that understanding may change yeah so it's not about you do the same behavior every day mm -hmm. it's that you are open to the fact that you want to stay in like you know we used to have a time when we didn't recycle like sure. one of my favorite um it's like this quick scene in Mad Men, but there's a scene in oh, Mad Men yeah, that's right. where they are eating. So like you're, they're in 1958. Yeah, they're in 1958 and they're eating outside and they just throw their garbage on the ground and leave. Mm -hmm. That used to be what we did. That is no longer something that people do or the people who do do it, they're unicorns. Well, and, and don't even think about the fact that whatever Don Draper was shaking out of his blanket was probably going to be degraded in it back into the ground in a year. Probably. Whereas nowadays it wouldn't, it right? Wouldn't. Because of plastic. So that's a good point. But you know, we all grew up with the the crying Native American, mm -hmm. you know, who was like it, which is all appropriation and everything, yeah. you know, like it's all different now. Sure. But we grew up learning to not do that, mm -hmm. you know, give a hoot, don't pollute, mm -hmm. and you know, mm -hmm. don't be a dirty bird. Yeah. And so we changed what was right for us as a community and et cetera. So this gets really, really deep, but I just feel like these are the kind of, this is what a discussion is about, is like talking through all these things and how did we get where we are? In order to try and stop pollution, we need more help. So, help would we spread the word? Come on, never be a dirty bird. No matter where you go, you can let some people know to give a hoot, don't pollute. I wonder if that was an effective Talk campaign. Talk about indoctrination. Right? <laughs> they got us. <laughs> um, so we're an hour in and I think okay. we probably got to 10% of what you wanted to. So, I mean, 2%. But that's okay because we can talk about these things are, these have always been discussions that we've been having on yeah. the show. I'm kind of putting it under this new umbrella so people can understand where we're coming from. Mm -hmm. um, but the last things that I'll say is that with this understanding of why people get involved in something or thought reform or how we start to use jargon, it's sometimes about something really grand, like what we would call a cult. Um, and sometimes it's in our wellness community. Sometimes it's one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. like with one teacher. That's experiences that I've had, like where you look to a teacher to give you all the answers and you only trust something about yourself if that person validates it or doesn't. Mm -hmm. You know, then you start to question yourself. So, and this is also true in abusive families. Mm -hmm. You can have family indoctrination. Sure. You can have, um, you know, religious indoctrination. Like, and... And it's not about being afraid. Like, I don't talk about these things, so I'm like, be careful. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is the truth of ourselves is that that center that we do know what's best for us. We are also part of a community. So how do you walk that line and practice that balance and keep your mind open 
not to a point where you are starting to go down the track of Q, <laughs> where you're so open-minded that everything sounds, Conspir- you know, conspiratorial. Yeah. Is that a word, conspiratorial? I believe it is. Um, but that you start to have like a basis of reality in that I be- well, let me say it this way: I believe you already have one, mm-hmm. and that you need to stay connected to that while also learning about other things yep. and trusting in science mm-hmm. and also knowing that science changes. You Evolves, guys. Yep. We thought it was a flat earth yep. and it wasn't. And, you know, sometimes something worked and then it doesn't. And that science doesn't, you know, talk about something that we throw on people as absolutism mm-hmm. or whataboutism where we start saying, but you said this before and you didn't now, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah. It's like, wait a second. Things evolve and change. We learn as we go. That's what science is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, oh, I just could talk about this forever. Well, maybe we'll do another one next week if we're still feeling inspired by this topic. Yeah. I don't know what we, we need to call this one jargon or cults or language, something loading about, the language. Well, I, something about when something goes from good to not good. All right. We'll figure it out. Yeah. But, th- but thanks for listening, everybody. And I, you know, you'll notice that there's a lot of documentaries out right now about things like this, about MLMs, mm-hmm. and that's, um, you know, multi level marketing. Multi level marketing. And, and John of God, there's a new documentary about him. And, you know, when it comes to white supremacy, you know, it talked about indoctrination. Um, it, it just is, it, it really all stems from the same thing. Yeah. And that's what's so interesting to me is if we can understand that then a lot of these problems that we're dealing with, um, we can understand how to support people in feeling belonging in a more healthy way. Mm, there you go. So that's it. Um, where's my... There it is. Uh, so Jeremy Craft, he's a bald-headed beauty, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicago line area, 630-956-1800, avico.net. I also coach guys. First session's free, toddadamscoaching.com. And I'm also the executive director of Men Living. It's a virtual and in-person community of guys connecting deeply and living fully. Would love to see you there, menliving.org. Anything else, sweetie? I think that'll be enough for today. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you have a wonderful week. Keep jogging. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review. It helps people find us. Hey, looking for more support, exclusive content, and an awesome community of parents? Join Team Zen, where you'll get zero pressure and 100% support. First month's free if you enter the coupon code FRIEND. Go to zenparentingradio.com. Time is at a premium these days, which is why we're delivering help and hope right to your inbox. Sign up to receive Zen Parenting Moment, a quick read two times a week that helps ground you and remind you of what you already know. Go to zenparentingradio.com to subscribe. A special shout out to the guys or for women who want to share a pretty great opportunity with the men in their lives. Men Living is committed to improving men's lives through connection. Included in our program is a low pressure, 75 minute weekly virtual gathering for men to give and get support and build friendships. If you want to learn more, you can head to menliving.org. Join us for our other podcast, Pop Culturing, where we take a Gen X view on movies and TV and have fun breaking down key moments and the themes that teach us what it means to be human. And don't forget about our founding partner, Jeremy Craft at avidco.net. Uh, he is a bald-headed beauty, painting and remodeling throughout Chicago and area. His number is 630-956-1800. Thanks for listening, everybody, and keep on trucking.